I used to um, try to tell myself a lie every now and then. And while doing it, it was more telling me a lie, but I would pass it on to my wife when I said that this time of year, pick a time, it doesn't matter, but this moment in time of year, whatever sporting event was going on, it was going to be okay because it was almost over, and then I could move on with my life. But sporting events, if you're into sports, you realize that they've very strategically planned it out so every single month there's something awesome happening in sports. However, this time of year, with hockey and basketball playoffs going on, it's an awesome time in sports. And so hopefully you'll bear with me as I use a little sports analogy for just a few moments. But I want you to imagine, we are awaiting to see who comes out of the Eastern Conference in the basketball, if you are a basketball fan. Waiting to see who is going to lose to the Warriors. Um, Because it pretty much is a foregone conclusion that... The Warriors are just sitting around waiting to see who they're going to beat up on. And in in route to their fourth championship out of five years, their third in a row, you know, it's just kind of assumed. This was assumed last September before basketball season even started. So this is the assumption. It is a foregone conclusion, kind of like with football. I mean, I'm just waiting to see who the Patriots are going to play. I'd like to think my chief will take care of that problem, but, you know, it's just it's kind of a foregone conclusion. But I want you to imagine the Warriors who are tired of playing basketball because they just win all the time (laughs) decide to do something. Now, if you, again, are a true sports fan, you will know that the mantra of championships are defense, wins championships. And so the Warriors, in some bold move, buy into that statement 100%. And when they start playing on May 30 against whoever it is, the punching bag out of the East, who they will defeat soundly because they don't even need the second best player in the world to be even on their team and healthy. That's how good this team is. Okay? And so they're just waiting. But they decide, you know what, we want to play with Kevin Durant, but he can only, he can't move very much. So we're going to just focus on defense. And we're going to just stay on our side of the court. The half of the court that we're defending, we're just going to defend. We're not going to do anything about scoring points. We'll just let Steph Curry chuck up threes from the half-court line, but we will not cross over into the offensive zone. We are going to be 100% committed to defense. A football team is not going to cross the 50-yard line. They'll just get there and chuck and have their kicker kick 64-yard field goals because they're not going to leave their defensive zones because defense wins championships. The hockey team is not going to cross the red line because defense wins championships and they'll just chuck those pucks at the goalie and hope it makes it through because defense wins championships. Now, no sports team ever in their right mind would buy into that mantra. But has the church, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Has the church, is the church 
falling prey to staying on the defense, staying in our zone, knowing the foregone conclusion is that we win. It's a foregone conclusion. Revelation tells us it's a foregone conclusion. The church will triumph. But have we set up ground in the defensive zone? Have we become bogged down? Have we become attached, burdened, and just stagnant in what we're doing? We, as a church, have been called out to go out. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus has called us out to go out. I want you to say that with me. Jesus has called us out to go out. So today we're going to spend some time looking at where this idea of being called out to go out comes from. And it's going to get a little a little heavy. I don't normally get on a soapbox. Um, and I may just do that, but trust me, it will be a, uh, a very tenuous soapbox because I don't live on that soapbox. What I'm going to say, I'm saying 100% to myself because I don't live what I'm about to preach. I'm just going to be straight up honest right now. It's not how I live, but it's how I want to live. Jesus has called us out to go out. I've heard it said several times a day, and it just kind of hit me, you know, about the blessing that this church is. And please understand, everything I'm saying is not meant to attack church. This is an amazing experience that we have every week. But I think we are selling ourselves short because we are not responding to the call out to go out. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we have this story that took place in the town of Caesarea Philippi. And it's a, one of these famous verses that a, a lot of people have heard. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And so they give, the disciples give the word on the street kind of a thing and say, yo, it's, people say you're this dude or that dude. You know, and we're still trying to figure out who you are because we know you're different, but we're still not sure. That's the word on the street. Well, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up and says, well, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who has come to, that we've waited for to bring us salvation. Now, I don't think Peter totally understood what he was saying completely about what that salvation was to look like. But he said it anyway, because in just a little while, he was going to be denying Jesus. So he, we know he didn't quite get it, but he knew he had the concept, and so he stated it. And Jesus responds back and says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now I thought about talking about the location, the rock, if you went to Israel with us a few years ago, you've been there. You know, Caesarea Philippi is essentially Sin City, okay? It was, it was like... The, the pagan kingdom. I mean, it just it was this place where all of these pagan worships happened, and it was a place that you would not expect to find Jesus. But Jesus said, essentially, I need a break with my disciples. I need to teach them something. Let's go to the Strip. 
And so he goes there and he says this. And so we could talk a lot about that, but I'm not going to talk about that too much. I want to focus in on I will build my church. The word there, if you, um, I'm sure you've heard this word before, the Greek word, um, ekklesia, it essentially means, not essentially, it completely means called out ones is what it means. Ek meaning out, lacia is called. So the word means called out. And so the word that Jesus uses there is referring to a group that's been called out. Now here's where it gets a little more interesting. This word, this concept is not an original concept of Jesus. In fact, as you understand what Jesus does, you begin to realize that he almost invents nothing new. He just takes different things and turns them around and uses them for his purpose. There is a lesson there. Jesus can take anything, turn it around, and use it for his purpose. And that means each and every one of us. But this term, ecclesia, is not a religious term. It was not some code word, some special word that his disciples would have instantly known. Hey, this is what... This is what this means, and oh man, wow, yeah, I get that. You know, this is going to be this. It was a word. They're in, they're in the, this heathen capital near this cave that was thought to be the gates of Hades, and Jesus is using this term that is not a religious term. It was used of civic meetings. It would have been like Jesus going to Washington, D.C. and saying, I will, on this Capitol Hill, I will build my Congress. It was essentially a civic meeting, a group of people who had been called out, voted on, who had been set aside to go make decisions, to go do things. And so this ecclesia was an assembly of people, and that's probably the best translation of this word, the idea of how it was used, is to uh, translate it as an assembly. It was just a gathering of people to come together and do civic duty. And so Jesus there, in mentioning this, uses this word saying, on this rock, after the confession of Peter, the confession of Peter is Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, that is the rock. We'll come to that a little later. Jesus uses this word, describes this, this concept of, on this confession of me as Christ, on this confession, I'm going to build an assembly of people, an assembly of people who are called out to meet, to gather together for a purpose. So the question we may be having, that you should be having, is how do we get from assembly, called out, to I will build my church. Um, I owe a lot of some of the his history I'm about to talk about. I've stated from the front before that I don't like history very much. That is changing, thank the Lord. I'm happy for that in my life, that I'm embracing history a little more. But I owe a lot of this history. There was a few books that I've been reading here recently, and especially this week I found even a couple other ones. But one's by Andy Stanley, and one is another one's by 
a guy whose name I can't pronounce. It's Argentinian. I'm going to just pronounce it Silvo, and we'll be done with that. Um, but anyway, so I owe, I owe a lot of this kind of some of this historical background into this word to those um, books. But, you know, as I was reading, I found more and more references to this. So I have no doubt that this is good. But let's quick, if you'll bear with me, a history lesson. Okay, a history lesson. So how did we get from ecclesia, this called out assembly, to the word church? In the year 313, Constantine legalized Christianity. He essentially made freedom of religion a thing. Because up till that point, the Jewish sect of these, you know, of the way of these new Christians, this kind of sect had been cast aside, had been not welcome, was a part of, was just, was persecuted. But then Constantine comes and legalizes that. And not only does he legalize it, he eventually becomes Christian. And that kind of throws the whole, the whole experience into turmoil because it's gone from this group of people, this small group of people, assembly of people, who are kind of mobile, who move around, who don't really have a place to call home, Constantine takes this on and says, hey, I'm Christian now, and says, okay, well, let's bring it to where I'm at. And so Christianity begins to move from being kind of a mobile environment to moving more into some of the, the temples and these structures that had been built for worship and begins to kind of switch from a, um, to switch from pagan worship, if you will, to worshiping Christ. And so this begins to happen and it goes through and there's all sorts of different terms that get used for it, but it kind of finally comes down to the German. Now I know, Pastor Walt, the German, I'm going to make a mistake here, but I want you to know I went to the internet and I listened to that little internet voice pronounce this word a hundred times. So I'm going to do my best to pronounce this word, but it gets down and kind of lands to in this German concept of church, which is this. Kirche. I have no idea. I, or the, 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 the internet voice, it didn't even sound like it was saying a word. It was just like, it was Kirche. Kirche or something like that. So anyway, it does not matter. You can see it. You can pronounce it how you want to. And in this case, how you want to pronounce it is right. And I'm okay with that. Just know that this is the word, and you can kind of see it. We can see it in there pretty easily that this idea of church, our word of church, comes from, obviously, it kind of comes from this word, kirch, um, and we can see how that works. Now, why did this kind of begin to set in? You have to remember that in the 300s, in those, in those Middle Age periods, they realized that this movement that Jesus said was not going to fail. That's a prophecy. Jesus made a prophecy saying this ecclesia is not going to fail. In fact, the gates of hell itself cannot stop the church, cannot stop this gathering. And as this is happening, people realize that and they begin to want power. 
And so they began to combine a thing that cannot be stopped, that is growing in momentum and say, if we can't beat it, we better join it and try and control it. And so they begin to kind of focus this in, and we have the church and state begin to be mingled, and we know how that went throughout the Middle Ages, and it was ugly. And as this happened, people began to be more concerned about control, about power. Church becomes about governance. Okay, now up to this point, I've not been throwing around any like club lingo, um, but if you are in the club, deep into the club, um, the word I just used maybe should have made, got you a little excited or something. It is not about governance. The church should not be about governance. And now I am speaking to those of you who are Adventists through and through and know what's going on in our situation. The church was founded and was began to be controlled. This idea of church becomes this concept of power, control, and governance. We should not be worried about governance. Why is the church not focused on, why or why the, the church should be focused on making disciples, not managing discipline. The church should be about, we as a church should be about being seven-day Adventists, not just Seventh-day Adventists. The church should be moving. But this concept of church that began hundreds of years ago, this church that began hundreds of years ago still infects our thinking today. And we forget our mission and begin to focus on how do we keep our organization afloat and we forget what we're all about. Do not think that what happened in history cannot happen today in our community. But that does not make church a dirty word. It does not make the concept of why we are here meeting each week wrong or un biblical we should be gathered together it's just what power do we give to this gathering what reason do we gather for and where does the church reside so the word church or kirch um, actually kind of means house of a lord and i want to again point out that this word is not necessarily christian you could go to a pagan church, okay? It just was the house of somebody, of something that you held in great esteem. So even the concept of church was not about the movement, was not about the ecclesia. It was about power, control, and bringing it all together. I could go on and on and on. I found so much stuff about this that's fascinating. And if you want to know more, come to Second Look, because I will share more in there about some of the history of how this happened and even how we get to the point that our Bibles translate the word ecclesia, an assembly, as church, because it's not actually a translation. It's a substitution. So what is 
the ecclesia. Ephesians. Ephesians, um, I can't read the small slide on this screen to get this in, but it will tell you the text. This is from Ephesians. Consequently, this is Paul talking to this group of people in Ephesus. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to become, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is the ecclesia? Well, if we look at this, we can clearly tell that the ecclesia is a people being built together to become a dwelling. This is not the house of the Lord. You are the temple of the Lord. And it is by his spirit, the spirit coming in us that makes our bodies this temple. We become a temple of God. And so you can never come to church because you are the church. Okay, we can come to this building. Yes, it is here. Yes, we can call this building the church. That is fine. But we cannot think that like, oh man, I need to really church it up. You know, I should go. No, no, no. You are the church. You are a dwelling being, or you are being built together to become a dwelling, to become the dwelling, the temple, to become a dwelling of God. That is what the ecclesia is about. It is about becoming a people who have been called out by God to do something. We have been called out by God. Andy Stanley, in that book I was telling you about deep and wide, had this quote that I really kind of liked. Um, it said, a church is a location. An ecclesia is a purposeful gathering of people. You can lock the doors of a church. Not so with the ecclesia of Jesus. You cannot lock the doors. And that is why the gates of Hades, why death itself, the, mo the, the most seemingly permanent door itself, Jesus is like, hey, I hold the keys to that door. There is no way that you can lock down the ecclesia. Those who have been called out. As, as we start to see it, the church is not location. The church is a gathering of people. Ecclesia is a gathering of people who then take the church out of the doors of this building and church happens wherever you are at. Just imagine the power that could be had if we bought into this. And this is where I'm on that soapbox that is standing on top of a tiny little ball that is going to cast me off in a second because I do not live this way. And I hate to say that, but I will be honest. I don't live this way. But what if I lived like when I leave these doors, I'm the church. 
when I leave these doors, I'm the one who is called out to go out. Our culture today is such a come and sit kind of a culture. We go and pay exorbitant amounts of money to sit in a dark room and watch a movie. We go to sporting events. We go to school to sit and learn. People come to church and just kind of treat it the same way. Come to sit and watch. We go to concerts. We go to these events where we come to sit and be entertained, to come and sit and get some inspiration, to come and sit and have an experience. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to understand that's not what church is. That is not what church is. I am not the main attraction that you all came to sit and listen to. You just are all polite, and you do it anyway, so thank you. I appreciate that. The music is not what we come to sit and listen to. We don't come to church to just sit and listen. If we are called out people to go out, we come to church to be gathered together. We come to church to be encouraged. We come to church to share our experiences throughout the week. How have I seen God work in my life? How have I seen the church moving this week, wherever I've been? The church is not a location. It is a purposeful gathering of people. We see this in the New Testament, this purposeful gathering of people. If the New Testament church had operated this way, our current way, this statement wouldn't have been true. It says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. That'd be teaching, that'd be to the disciples teaching in the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They have filled Jerusalem. An ecclesia, a called out people, inserts itself into everyday life. An ecclesia inserts itself into life. We cannot expect people who need to know Jesus to come to us. I call this the field of dreams mentality. If we build it, they will come. You know, that's great. And I pray and hope that that is something that God uses with our new building. We can't expect the people who need Jesus most to walk in the doors of our church. We need, as an ecclesia, to permeate the world. As an ecclesia, as a called out people, we have been called out into a gather as a purposeful people. But when we are done gathering, we must go out because the church is not here. We, people won't come here. This will not get a ton of people. But if we go out and share the love and hope of Jesus, if we go out and share the good news of the gospel with others, if we go out and are the hands and feet of Jesus. And man, this soapbox is getting very unstable to me. But I'm still going to hang in there. 
we go out with Jesus, if we leave these doors and take the church out, that is when that prophecy that on the rock, the declaration that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, what he did for us, that is when that will have power. That is when that will have a power that no thing could hold back. We have been called out to go out. The Great Commission. Um, this is my kind of summation of the Great Commission. Um, go. Okay? Jesus, after his resurrection, is there with his disciples and tells them, go. And then he gives them a list of things to do. But the key word in that Great Commission is we have to go. We can't sit here like cheese on a track, waiting for the mouse to come sniff along and grab something real quick and get them in. We got to go. We can't sit and wait. We cannot be stagnant. We have to go. We cannot just hope that Jesus will bring someone to us. We have to go. We must go, and that is what the ecclesia is all about, the church. The church is not a location. The church is a gathering of purposeful people who are called out to go out. And if you think about that, it's kind of like a double negative. If I'm called out to go out, doesn't that mean I'm right back where I started? Could that be? what Jesus means when he says be in the world but not of the world we've been called out because we have a special purpose a special meet a special message we have a rock we have Jesus as savior we can be declaring to people listen I have zero answers for what's going on in our society today save for I know Jesus and I know his purpose and he came to save if our church does not go, if we just think, oh, we've got a brand new space that we can invite people to, that's just not enough. We must go. We must go with that message of hope, that message of Jesus. Church, be kind of an uncomfortable place. Um, just a reminder, Jesus has called us out to go out. And if we are called out to go out, but yet still in our culture of this is how we meet together and encourage, and we bring others here, this church should be an uncomfortable place. My sister... Um, made a comment to me several years ago um, about coming to coming back to a church and, and her comment was it's like eh, they're singing all these new songs singing these new songs I don't recognize these songs 
I found that interesting. And Stacy, if you ever listen to this sermon or ever happen to hear it, my apologies. I'm not trying to ridicule on you or call you out. Um, but it made me think. I was just like, do we struggle with that problem each and every day? Where we want church to be a representation of the best time that we enjoy church. To be a time, to be an experience that reminds us of a time in our life when we were the most comfortable with Jesus. To remind us of our childlike faith when we kind of sing the songs or do the things that we did as children. And we want that comfort, you know, this is how I do church. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, church should be an uncomfortable place. The rock that the ecclesia is built on was the proclamation that Jesus was the Christ. That Jesus had come to die and save the world. Now, I don't know if Peter understood. In fact, I do know. Peter didn't quite grasp all of that yet. But that's what he was saying. That's what the Christ was about. And we know that now. And there on that cross, as Jesus hung, and I talked about two weeks ago, the song that Jesus sung on the cross. As he was there, trying to remind each and every person that this is why I'm here and this is the hope that I bring, that I bring as Savior. A lot of times, this is how we look at that. We just, it, this cross speaks the message. But there's something missing from the picture. Because Jesus, at the first church service, at the first church service, was surrounded in a community. Jesus was not alone on that hill by himself saying, I hope you hear what I'm saying. Jesus was surrounded in a community. And this wasn't the desirable community that we want to have here in the seats next to us. Because I'm not going to lie, I don't, it's uncomfortable for me to have to smell body odor that isn't my own. And I don't want to smell it on somebody who maybe hasn't had the opportunity to shower in some time. But Jesus, in the first church service, the first proclamation of, this is why I'm here, I am Savior, was surrounded by robbers, criminals, that were both mocking and ridiculing him as the day got started. There is power. There is power in the name of Jesus. I also talked about I like to have songs and everything and sing it. And I ain't going to lie, that's a song. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. There's power. And in that moment, in that, on that hill, surrounded in this community of people who needed Jesus, one of them heard the power of the name of Jesus. And one of them understood that 
this man doesn't deserve to die, but yet he is dying the same death that I am. And in the first church service, Jesus converts this thief on the cross and gives him the hope. The hope that this is why I'm here and because you've accepted me, because you've, you've experienced me, because of that, you will be with me. That is what gives the ecclesia power. It is the rock on which all of our hope is founded. It is that Jesus is the Savior. It's that Jesus is our Messiah. He's the Lord. He has come to save us. He came to give us life, an everlasting life. He did not come to condemn us but to save us. That is what the ecclesia is all about. And my challenge to you today is to be a part, to be a part of the solution. I love the church that I work for. I'm glad there's organizations here, but it is not the end all. I love that we have a brand new place to be. I love that it is exciting and has possibilities to use this location as a place to meet Jesus. But we have to go out. We've been called out to go out. Jesus has called us out to go out. Say that with me. Jesus has called us out to go out. My prayer that the hope of Jesus, it's my prayer that the message of the cross will be something that gives you courage and power. That it will be the thing that you build your church around, meaning that you build your life around. The church is built on Jesus. We read it in that text, built on Jesus as that chief cornerstone of our life. It is my prayer that I will have the courage to live what I just preached. And I just can't even begin to imagine what God could do if all of us had that courage. realize we've been called out, called out of a life of sin, called out of a life of death and bondage to a life of freedom, to a life abundant and overflowing, and then to go out and share that and not just wait for them to come to us, but to go out. Will you accept that challenge today? And I'm going to half-heartedly raise my hand. But will you accept that challenge? Will you find bravery, hope, courage in Jesus to be the ecclesia? God, I can't even 
can't even imagine what you could do with a purposeful people who gather together and then go out to share that amazing news. That go out to share the truth that you are the Savior. To share the truth that you have come to give us life. God, we know that we, that you have won the battle, that you have won the war. And Lord, I just pray that we would live like victors, that we would live victoriously. So Lord, today, I know that I don't have the courage to do it, but I place all of my hope and trust on you and know that you have promised to go before us and fight our battles so god please help grace point this community to be a group that is your ecclesia we ask these things in the saving name of jesus